Sheep, sheep get a bad press. We think of them as defenseless, passive, easily influenced. But according to a recent scientific finding, sheep are not dumb. They have their own personalities. They can recognize the faces of at least 10 people and 50 other sheep for at least two years. Scientists at the Braham Institute, sorry, I had to do that, in Cambridge, also discovered that sheep react to facial expressions. And like humans, they prefer a smile to a grimace. So turn and smile at the person sitting next to you, because scripture often describes us as sheep. If you identify yourself as a believer, then in God's eyes, you are one of his sheep. Sheep are gentle creatures. They avoid violence. They run away from danger. They make do with whatever pasture they find themselves in. They're highly social animals. They're very sensitive and responsive to each other. Creatures like this need a lot of care. And our God knows this. King David, Israel's iconic king, had been a shepherd. And in Psalm 23, he describes the Lord as his shepherd and the assurance that comes from being his sheep. And in scripture, we find criticism of bad shepherds, leaders who neglect or exploit God's people, God's flock, especially in Ezekiel 34. So when Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, it's really another way of saying that he is the perfect leader, God's chosen leader, God's Messiah. At the end of John's Gospel that we've been looking at for the last few weeks, at the very end of everything, when Jesus is restoring Peter, he commissions him to feed his sheep, take care of his lambs. God cares about his sheep. That's us. Now, the whole Gospel is a retelling of Jesus' ministry with a particular specific purpose, and his purpose is that you, whoever reads or hears this Gospel, may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that by believing it you may have life in his name. It's not meant to be a blow-by-blow -blow account of everything that Jesus did and said. There wouldn't be room to contain all of that, John tells us. This is a curated, careful, specific account with the key events and words of Jesus that, God, that, that John wants us to know, that God wants us to know, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This, then, is a key event. And it comes after the healing of the blind man in chapter 9, where we've seen Jesus' power and his compassion. This man only knew Jesus by his voice before his healing, because he couldn't see him. But once Jesus identified himself to the man in a way that was clear, meant he was the Messiah, this man, whose life had, whose life had been transformed, immediately became a believer and worshipped him. The Pharisees, the religious experts, the scholars, who should have known better, were not happy about this healing. And Jesus told them that they were blind not to see what this man did. So as we open this chapter, Jesus uses a metaphor to explain who he is and what he's doing. And he uses one that's familiar to any Jewish listener. Israel is the flock of God, God's chosen possession, and God is Israel's shepherd. All the way through this gospel, Jesus has been laying a trail of clues, if you like, about who he is. 
In chapter 4, he describes himself as the living water to the woman at the well. In chapter 5, he says he's been given authority by God to judge. In chapter 6, he says he is the bread of life. In chapter 7, he tells us that he will give living water to all who come to him, all who are thirsty. In chapter 8, he says he is the light of the world. And in chapter 9, around this healing, he repeats that he has come into the world for judgment, to give sight to some and to make others and to reveal the blindness of others. Now in chapter 10, he continues this conversation aimed specifically at the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who have shown the quality of their leadership by throwing out the man who's been healed, using this familiar language. And he comes at this explanation of who he is in three ways. He describes himself firstly as the shepherd who knows and leads his sheep, as the gate, the one who gives access to the kingdom, and the one who gives life. In this passage, we hear Jesus say, essentially, that he knows and calls his people into an intimate and close relationship as their shepherd. He leads them. He gives them access to the kingdom as their gate. And as the giver of life, he gives his own life for them and gives his own life to them. So the big idea, if you're looking for it in this passage, is that Jesus is saying, I am the leader who will meet all your needs, your need for protection, for nurture, for guidance, for significance, for belonging. And he uses this metaphor of shepherding and sheep in a sort of complicated, interconnecting way to show us his love, his protection, his nurture, that he is our example, that he cares deeply for us and that we matter to him. So let's look at these three things in turn. First, the shepherd. Jesus tells the Pharisees that the sign of a genuine leader is that he doesn't have to sneak in through a side, through a side gate over the wall. This is how you know it's me, he says. The real leader just comes in through the gate. All the others have come by stealth. They're thieves. We see the word, the word that's used for thieves and robbers. The word for thieves is klepti, which is where we get our word kleptomania from. Someone who takes by stealth like a pickpocket. Or a robber, someone who takes by violence. Now, he's not talking here about the great leaders of old like Moses or Abraham. He's talking here about those bad leaders of Israel's history and those standing right in front of him who have just punished the man who's been healed. Jesus' sheep belong to him. He tells us this in verse 3, that they know his voice. They obey his commands. They trust and follow him, he tells us in verse 5. This is a trusting relationship based on their knowledge of him and his knowledge of them. Picture a single shepherd with a smallish flock. This is how, this is the picture that his first listeners would have understood. One shepherd with a smallish flock who would walk in front of his flock and lead the way, going ahead of them, not driving them forward, but showing them where to walk. At night, many flocks would be gathered together, perhaps in the same fold. A few shepherds would bring them together. And in the morning, each shepherd would call his own sheep out. Jesus is saying, my sheep know my voice, like you would know your own parents' voice, your mother's or father's voice. Perhaps at the school gate when you were a kid, you would hear your mother or father calling out to you. You could pick their voice out from all the others. And then Jesus goes a step further and says, he calls his sheep out by name. It's not just corporate. This is individual. 
He calls his sheep out by name, each one. God uses the same language in Isaiah 43. I've called you by name, he says. You are mine. No believer is anonymous to God. He knows all his sheep and he cares about them, unlike the hired help who are self-serving, running away from the danger, not caring about the sheep, caring more about themselves. Twice he says in verse 11 that he lays down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep as intimately as the father knows him and he the father. And this flock is bigger than simply Israel. We've seen this through through the chapters we looked at together already, haven't we? He's always looking beyond the people in front of him. And he's looking beyond Israel to those who are also part of his flock he was going to bring in. That's, that's us. So we see that Jesus the shepherd meets our need for a trusting relationship, for guidance, for protection, for belonging. But he also describes himself as the gate access to life in the kingdom in verse 7 he says truly truly I tell you this is the way he started actually at the beginning in verse 1 as well and this is his way of saying listen up this is really important you need to know this I am the gate for the sheep so if we go back to our first our little shepherd with his flock if they weren't gathering them together they would take their flocks out individually and at the night they would lay down across the mouth of the sheep pen to guard the sheep at night, they would become the physical gate for the sheep, keeping them safe overnight. So when Jesus describes himself in this way, he's saying, I'm the one who keeps you safe. I'm the one who gives you access to salvation. And this is the only place in John's gospel where he uses this language of being saved. This is in verse nine, if you're following along. Whoever enters through Christ will be saved, healed, nurtured, They will go in and out, live their lives, find safe pasture, find what they need through Jesus. And we come to verse 10, which is a famous verse, where Jesus tells us pretty much his mission statement, why he's come. He's come so that his sheep will have life and have it abundantly until it overflows, as some translations put it. What does that mean? What can that mean? Well, for the blind man, it meant having more than he had ever had in his whole life before. He had never seen before. He'd been given a whole new sense with which to experience the world. Could it mean something like that for us? Jesus, the gate, meets our need for salvation, for nurture, for healing, for security, and for more. For abundance, for a full life. And so we come to his third claim, which is to be the giver of life. Four times in two verses, he makes this claim about laying down his life in verses 15 and 17. And he ties it to how the father feels about him. The father, Jesus tells us, delights in Jesus' willingness to give up his life for us. And this is ultimately and fully how Jesus, the good shepherd, looks after us by giving up his life for us. And God gives him authority, the command to lay down his life and take it up again in verse 18. We all know that Jesus wasn't actually killed by the Romans. His death wasn't engineered by jealous Pharisees. We've seen many times already in these chapters that we've been looking at 
the unsuccessful attempts of the mob and the Pharisees to kill him. No, Jesus wasn't killed. He willingly laid down his life and took it up again. So we've heard Jesus say that he knows and calls his people into an intimate and close relationship in which he leads them, he gives them access to the kingdom, he gives them abundant life, and he gives his own life for them. So what do we do with all of this? What, what does this mean for us here now? Well, in this biblical language, he confronts us with our own dependency and vulnerability by naming himself as our shepherd. If we want him as our shepherd, then we have to recognize ourselves as sheep. This might be easier to imagine for those good folks back in Bible times, simpler people, didn't have our sophistication, understanding, technology, and whatnot. But we'd be wrong, wouldn't we? Because the painful truth is modern life betrays our sheep-like tendencies. We have influences with followers, podcasts we follow, viral videos, gentle minions, stock market stampedes, Beatlemania, if you want to go back a few decades, or even Elvis mania, which I discovered when I watched the, last, uh, the, the latest Elvis movie last week. Even in scripture, we see it in the early church in Corinth with factions backing Paul or Cephas or Apollos. We follow, we admire, we imitate, we emulate, we cheerlead, we're influenced by others. We're wired for community, born needing guidance, nurture, and with a drive to belong. The group is important to us, and our leaders influence and direct our lives in positive and negative ways, from parents to teachers to pastors to coaches. Poor leadership causes disruption and confusion. In the church or in political life, moral boundaries are crossed. When that happens, leaders are exposed as compromised and self-serving or simply hollow. And we're disappointed because we ask a lot of our leaders. We ask a lot because we need a lot. In the age we live in, failure is public, communicated around the nation, if not the world, in minutes, thanks to social media. But it's not new. Israel's history and that of every nation is littered with the failures of leaders. So perhaps this talk of sheep and shepherds is not just for those simpler folk long ago, but also for us with our smartphones and our modern lives. Without a good leader, we scatter. Each of us goes our own way. Isaiah 53 describes what Jesus the Good Shepherd did for us, his wayward sheep, as he took on the punishment due to all of us. If we're to see ourselves or learn anything from this scripture for ourselves, we must humbly recognize that we are sheep in order to appreciate that we have a shepherd who is willing to lay it all on the line to give us not just what we need, belonging, protection, nurture and guidance, but more life abundant. If you're here as a believer, you already know that you're a sheep and that you have a shepherd. This passage reminds us that we're in safe hands, that our shepherd is good. We do need reminding from time to time, don't we? Especially if we're in uncertain or difficult times, perhaps in our families or work or health, not good. Perhaps our faith has taken a bit of a beating through the challenges of COVID 
or disruptive plans or continual disappointments. Perhaps we've even lost our sense of connection with Jesus. We believe, sure, but we don't necessarily feel that he really sees us or knows us, where we are, how we're really doing. Perhaps we don't think we can even expect him to know or care about us so personally. And yet this passage tells us that he calls us by name. We are his, the sheep of his pasture, his prized possession. This passage tells us that Jesus came not only to lay down his life for us, but also to give us life, a life beyond mere existence. The life Jesus gives us helps us to live beyond the limitations of normal life. It's abundant, it's overflowing. It doesn't remove our challenges, but it equips us to live through them with Jesus. Our troubles pass, but our life in Jesus is eternal. He contrasts his liberating, life-giving leadership with the oppression of false and bad teachers. Jesus has come to give us life, not to take it away, to bless us and renew us and restore us, not to beat us down with rules and regulations. If you're feeling a bit weary and a bit ho-hum, a bit meh about your life with Jesus, remember today that he has called you by name. He knows you intimately, even the number of hairs on your head, and he loves you just as he ever did. We can trust where he's leading us, even if we can't see where the road leads. We can trust the one who's already proved his commitment and his authority by laying down his life for us and taking it up again. Now, it's possible that you're here and you're not actually believing this. You may be here out of habit. You may be here because someone asked you to come here. You may be here because you always come here. You may be here because you like the people or the singing. But you may not actually believe if that's you, then you need to ask yourself if you can accept the assumption behind Jesus' words that you're like a sheep, vulnerable, prone to wander, and needing guidance, needing this kind of leadership. The good shepherd Jesus, who was alive in this passage and is alive now, is now calling you by name into his flock. Every time you hear his word... God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you now, today, calling you now by name into his flock to care for you, to give you access to eternal life as you believe in him and what he has done, to give you abundant, overflowing, full life. This is the best offer you will ever get. No one else can do for you what Jesus can. No one else can give you access to the Father, only Jesus. He is the gate. No one else can guide, nurture, and protect you, only Jesus. He is the good shepherd. No one else can welcome you into a permanent forever family where you always belong, only Jesus can. Jesus claims the ability and the authority to meet our needs for protection nurture, guidance, and belonging if we're willing to believe him. And if you do, and if you can, then these beautiful words will become yours. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen.